Bulletcast. For life. Everybody. Welcome to another edition of Under the Radar. My name is Brandon Tanguma, and on today's episode, I'm going to be going over the AEW Revolution pay-per-view, NXT recap, and Season 2 of Vice's Dark Side of the Ring has been announced. But first, I want to let you guys know that I appreciate you guys listening to the last two interviews I have done with Starboy Charlie and Rick Luxury, the Stargazing series. And I actually have another episode coming to you tomorrow, so three consecutive days of audio content provided by ya boy. And this will continue on the Stargazing series where we talk to Sparky Ballard, the local referee and promoter who runs the wrestling gym that Starboy Charlie trains at. And I only knew him as a referee, I didn't even know he really did some other things, so it was a really great opportunity to sit down and talk with Sparky, so definitely go and stay tuned tomorrow, 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time, and all the news and notes and time differences in between. And let's just jump right into it. If you haven't, Philip did a AEW Revolution recap with the Rudos podcast, so shout out to those boys. I'm not jealous at all that I was invited, but it's okay. We have my own Revolution talk that I will do by myself. And this took place February 29th, 2020 in Chicago, Illinois at... I Usually it has the arena name, and of course, when I do it, it doesn't have it. So, we have the free pre-show, the Dark Order taking on SCU, and Dark Order wins in nine minutes. I thought SCU was going to win, and pretty much the way that I thought it was going to happen, I thought it was going to happen during the match, with Christopher Daniels coming out and basically proving that he's not with Dark Order. But in the end, Dark Order got the win, and then in a roundabout way, we got to what I thought was going to happen, but it just happened after the match. And... Uh, Cole Cabana comes out, gets a, a good pop there in his hometown of Chicago. Then we get the for the exalted one, we thought, or maybe a higher power. But then, no, it was Christopher Daniels comes out and uh, beats up the Dark Order. I thought it was a fine opener, nothing really too special here. So, I mean, if we're going to give star ratings, I think I'll give it like, you know, three and a half, three and a quarter star. It was good. Nothing really to uh, write home about, and let's just jump on into the main show. I'm not going to go move for move, because you've probably already heard a dozen other podcasts where they go over this. So, uh, Jake Hager versus Dustin Rhodes goes 15 minutes. Hager wins, and I thought this match was a little bit disappointing. I think it was a little ballsy to go 15 minutes. I think, especially since Hager hasn't really wrestled a big-time match, or I don't even know the last time he's ever had a wrestling match, and to make him go 15 minutes, I think it was a little ambitious. I think he could have cut off five, seven minutes off of this, make it go like eight minutes, and just put Hager over pretty strong, especially since this show ended up going pretty long. It went over the three-hour mark, and this was a great show. I'm not complaining about the length of time, but when you see some of these other, you see some of these matches that went really, really long, like the tag match, Cody and then the main event, obviously, you can kind of trim some stuff off to make the show a little more palatable. And I thought this match was a little bit of a disappointment. I had a little higher hopes that Dustin could get something out of Jake. I don't, I'm not going to place blame. I don't know if Hager was terrible, if Rhodes was just off, or whatever the case may be, but I just, 
I wasn't the biggest fan of this match. Obviously, I did not like the spot where Dustin Rhodes kissed Hager's wife. I mean, it's 2020. What are we doing doing some, like, sexual assault spots and supposed to get a big pop from the crowd? I mean, I guess it worked. The crowd kind of enjoyed it for what it was, but then, I mean, sitting at home, I called it bullshit and, like, what the hell are you doing? It's, it, it, it was terrible to do that 20, 30 years ago, and why the hell are we doing it now? And uh, so, yeah, it was the finish was as expected. Hager goes over. And who knows what this means for Dustin, if he's going to take a little bit of time off, if he's just kind of going to toil and kind of be that gatekeeper where he works with some of the younger guys and try to get to kind of get them over. But maybe he goes with Cody and does a tag team thing with him. But I thought it was a little disappointing first step in Jake Hager's in-ring career for AEW. Then we get Darby Allen taking on Sammy Guevara, and Darby wins in five minutes, but there was also about five minutes of pre-show shenanigans or pre-match shenanigans. So I did not give my star rating for the first match. I'm going to give it two and three quarters, I guess. It was okay. I think that might be a little generous. I might knock it down to two and a half. Then we get Darby Allen taking on Sammy Guevara, and the match was just insane, you know, balls to the wall. Overall, the match official time was five minutes. I think the real match time, the real segment that it had was like maybe 10 minutes and I really enjoyed this Darby just going all over the place beating up Sammy Sammy hitting that 6 630 on the outside through the table it was great um I thought Darby was going to win you can say that Sammy was going to needed to get a win because he's been taking a lot of losses on TV but I think Darby is really clicking as a baby face I think some people are kind of uh, comparing him to Jeff Hardy because he is, you know, kind of gaining that popularity. He has the face paint. He's kind of eccentric. He's a little different. And I agree with that. I mean, he's definitely a much smaller than Jeff Hardy, so that kind of adds a different layer to his character. But I agree with putting Darby, Darby Allen over, and he was trying to get one up over on Sammy, trying to give him some payback, but then no, Jake Hager pulls Sammy out the ring. So maybe we can go a little bit more with this feud. Maybe we go to Darby Allen versus Jake Hager. But overall, I think this was really good. I'm going to give it three three stars, three and a quarter stars, three stars. I think it's right there. It was, you know, kind of a little too fast-paced to where you can really like, get a, a clear-cut story down. But it was really enjoyable for what it was. Great uh, undercard match. Then we get the tag team match. Hangman Adam Page and Kenny Omega defending their AEW Tag Team Championships against the Young Bucks. Now... This match has been getting a lot of talk, a lot of buzz on the internet, all over the wrestling world. And my God, I absolutely love this match. I was thinking, I saw this on Twitter, and I was trying to go back in my mind and think what it was. But I think, this might be hyperbolic, might just be me living in the moment, but I think this is the greatest tag team match that I've ever seen. I'm not going to go out there and be those people that say this is the greatest tag team match ever. I'm not going to cover that, do a blanket statement like that. I mean, I say the Omega-Okada match, I'll say that's the best match I've ever seen. I'm not going to say it was the best match ever because there's so much wrestling out there. There might have been some fantastic match in some like local indie show in like South America that no one's ever seen, but to the 200 people that saw it and saw the build and it was just the best match they've ever seen live. So I'm not going to sit here and say this was the best tag team match ever, but I will say that I think this is the best tag team match I've ever seen. Now, you can draw comparisons to 
the Young Bucks taking on the Golden Lovers down in LA for New Japan. I think this is a very comparable match. It was such a high-paced match, uh, great storytelling, and you can also go to the Young Bucks matches with the Lucha Bros that they had last year. But I think with this match, I think it had just the perfect combination of athleticism and storytelling. The story they told in this match was absolutely phenomenal. They had me hooked. I wanted to see what they were going to do with Hangman and Kenny. The Bucks were kind of acting up as heels. Very very interesting that the crowd was pretty solidly behind at least Hangman and Kenny for the most part, and they were booing the Young Bucks, which I thought that they were going to side with Hangman and Kenny, but I didn't know they were going to boo that hardly against the Young Bucks, but I'm not going to go over every single near fall and every single move, but I mean, I loved it. Kenny selling the shoulder because of the Pac match he had a couple nights ago, and then he can't hit the one-wing angel, and then Adam Page hits the one-wing angel on him, on, uh, I don't even remember, was in Matt, and, because that's kind of the feud going right now, was Matt Jackson against uh, Adam Page, and then in the end, Hangman goes over strong, Buckshot Lariat, Buckshot Lariat, gets the win, absolutely phenomenal, they called, they did the 30-minute call right when he hit that final buckshot layered, and when I was look, looks, when I was watching the match, I was like, geez, this match has only gone 30 minutes, because I thought, like, this is, like, an epic match, and I, it just felt like the match has gone, like, 40, 45 minutes, just because of how exhausting the match was, just not only physically, but also mentally, with all the storytelling that they were doing, it was just absolutely fantastic, and then afterwards, uh, Hangman gets out the ring, Kenny is there with the Bucks, they kind of try to get everybody together, but Hangman still isn't having any of it, and they tease a Buckshot Lariat. Don't know exactly what was going through Hangman's mind, I think obviously we're going to hear from him, and we're going to, he's someone's going to ask him what the hell is that, and he's going to blow him off and drink a beer, and everyone's going to love him. And the thing that makes this match so great is this wasn't a blow-off, this wasn't the final match of the story, this is just like maybe the second or third chapter of the story. We still need to see something else happen. I think someone's going to turn on somebody. Who knows if it's going to be Kenny and Hangman, Hangman on Kenny, Kenny on Hangman. Who knows? I mean, that's what makes this match, I think, even better is just because it was such a great match, and yet the story still isn't even done yet. Then we move on to probably which was the low light of the show. Nyla Rose taking on Chris Statlander for the AEW Women's title. And this goes 13 minutes. It was a match that was a little hard to watch, to be honest with you. And similar to the opener with Hager and Rose, I felt as though this match was a little too ambitious going this long. Make it go eight minutes and put Nyla over. You can still do the same finish or whatever, just kind of cut out some of the sloppy holds and uh, you know, strikes that they were doing. I mean, Chris Statlander tried to do a superplex, and she slipped and damn near almost killed everybody. And once again, I'm not going to place blame on either one. I think it was an equal opportunity where they both were not the best in the world. And the match wasn't that great, and it continues to be a struggle for the women's division, unfortunately. I, I don't want to continue to bury them. I just... I'm just calling like I see it. So, unfortunately, this match was uh, not very good, but they were in a tough predicament following that great match. And I think anybody, any match that was going to probably suffer because the crowd was going to be so drained. I think, honestly, maybe the crowd was drained a little bit throughout the entire show after. Not saying that they didn't get up and were cheering, but I think the uh, the just the intensity of that match the tag team match just kind of took a little bit out of the crowd, especially in this match. So uh, if I didn't give the tag match, obviously I'm going to give it five stars. And then the Nyla Rose Chris Statler match, like one and a half stars. Then we move on to Cody with Arn Anderson and Brandy Rhodes taking on MJF with Wardlow. Now I thought this match was going to be 
maybe best match of the night. I think, obviously, I knew that the tag team match was going to be crazy in terms of high spots and athleticism. But I was hoping that Cody was going to be able to kind of suck the crowd in and get MJF to maybe another higher level. Just because we've never really seen MJF, at least I've never seen MJF really in a, a great athletic match. So I don't really know what MJF can do. Cody isn't, you know, Kenny Omega, so he's not going to go flying all over the place. It's not going to be that kind of match. But I was it, I was excited for this match. And it went, overall, 24 minutes. MJF gets the win after taking the diamond ring, punching Cody in it. And they just kind of used all the gimmicks in the book. Cody broke his toe, so MJF was targeting that. I also thought it was kind of stupid that there was definitely a many times throughout the match because MJF took Cody's boot off pretty early that Cody could have just took the boot, could have put the boot back on, but it, it is what it is. So we get Arn taking a bump, Brandy taking bumps, and Wardlow taking bumps. Everybody's taking bumps. We get some, some juice from MJF. And overall, I thought it was a good match. I thought it was a, a good match. It wasn't a great match. It wasn't MJF or it wasn't Cody and Dustin good. But I think, once again, this match was a little bit too ambitious with the length. I think you could have chopped off four, six minutes off it. It goes 24 minutes. I think you can go 18, 20 minutes. And I think you can get a little bit more out of the crowd because the crowd was a little dead early on. They kind of picked up late, but they just weren't that frenetic high energy that I thought they would be for this match. Uh, I don't know what it was, if it can be linked back to the tag team match, if just maybe the Cody-MJF story hasn't really culminated the way that we thought it was going to be. But obviously this match is, or this feud is going to continue with MJF getting the upper hand on Cody. And I, that's what I thought was going to happen. I thought MJF was going to get the win because Cody, where's Cody going to go? He doesn't have a title opportunity. He can't fight for the title. So I think you go another, you go double or nothing with this. I think you could, you could also kind of do MJF being a little dickhead about it and saying that, He's not going to wrestle him again. He did his stipulations. You got your one match, and now you're not going to have it again. So maybe you can do it to where they don't touch each other. They don't face off for a little bit. Maybe MJF gets the title by hook or by crook by the end of the year, or maybe next year. But I just I wasn't impressed with MJF, to be honest. I, I, I was high on him. I know he's a great heel. He's a great character. But as I said earlier, like the in-ring aspect is what I question, and he didn't really show me anything that really proves to me that he can be a top-flit, a top-tier main event heel. Chris Jericho, you know, he, he can get com- some comparisons to Chris Jericho, but I think Chris Jericho is such a veteran. He knows what to do. He knows all the shortcuts, and he's still athletically gifted enough that he can get away with some things. MJF, I think he's kind of he's athletic. He can. I don't know exactly what he can do in the ring, but I think he could he could have a really good match, I think, if he had the right opponent. I don't know if Kenny or if Cody was the the wrong opponent or if he could be the right opponent. But I thought it was very dramatic and it worked at times, but it just didn't get to that next level I thought it was going to be. That being said, I think I'm still gonna give it four stars. I thought it was a good match and uh, there's just aspects of it that I wasn't the, a big fan of, so I had really high expectations. I thought this match could have been four and a half, four and three quarter, but it just didn't really live up to that hype. Maybe it was a crowd, maybe it was just the the work in the ring, but overall, uh, a good, a, a really good match. But uh, I know I keep kind of burying it, but it, it was it was well worked. Uh, then we get Pack taking on Orange Cassidy, and I said in the pod on my podcast that I do with my other co-host Dominic on Curveballs and Chair Shots, if you haven't, go and check out that podcast where we talk about both sports 
and wrestling. And I said that I was looking forward to this match maybe more than any other match on the card. And my God, did this match deliver. This match was just great. Y- you know what happened. Orange Cassidy did his thing. And Pac being just the, the anti-Orange Cassidy, being a bastard. It was great. And I'm going to give this four stars because why the hell not? This match, I really enjoyed this match. The crowd was going absolutely bananas. Yes, I know it might be kind of ironic wrestling, but I think all those haters that kind of don't know Orange Cassidy and don't understand exactly what he can do, they just see what he does on AEW and just says, oh, he puts his hand in his pockets and he doesn't do anything. Why does the crowd love him so much? Well, this is why the crowd love him, loves him so much, because he can do this, and it's such... It's a limiting gimmick, I'll say that. I don't know exactly how far he can take this. That being said, I don't think he's going to be AEW champion in the next two years. Could he be down the line? Maybe. Maybe maybe Orange Cassidy just kind of lucks his way into becoming a number one contender. I'm not saying that's going to happen anytime soon, but it was really, really fun. Now, Orange Cassidy and Darby Allen are kind of in the same boat, in my opinion, where they're kind of organically getting over. But with Darby, I think he needed the win much more than Orange Cassidy because he's kind of in the early stages where he's just trying. He finally showed some effort, and he finally showed effort, and it almost paid off, and they even protected him a little bit with the Lucha Bros coming out, beating up the best friends, Orange being a little uh, sidetracked with that, and then Pac uh, puts him in the Brutalizer, gets the tap out win. So they still protected Orange Cassidy in that way, but overall, really good match. I enjoyed this. It was so much fun, and I can't wait to see uh, Cassidy and Pac do it again. I Hopefully... I'm I'm begging that Orange Cassidy has another match at double has a match at double or nothing because I I, I want to see my boy I want to see him do his thing, and next up we get the main event Chris Jericho taking on John Moxley for the AEW World Title. Now on the Bullcast, I said that I thought John Moxley was going to win the title, and then I, I listen to some podcasts I kind of think over it a little bit I stew over it, and and I kind of get in my own head and then when the official predictions come around. I pick Jericho. But then I go, I'm watching the match. Moxley comes out from outside the arena. Uh, has a real big fight feel. I thought the crowd was really getting behind Moxley. And I was like, you know what? I, I just had a kind of an inclining. An in- inclining? Anyways, a feeling that John Moxley was going to win this match. Just because, I, I, I don't know if I felt something like in the crowd, but it just kind of had like, Man, I think Moxley should win this. I, I kind of picked Jericho just because I didn't know where they go from here if Moxley were to win. Just because I don't know what kind of heels they have out there. Hager is out there, but that's not a main event title match you want to do a pay-per-view with. You have Lance Archer. You have maybe Brody Lee coming in and Wardlow, but Wardlow just lost to Cody. So the, the heel side of AEW is a little weak. So that's why I didn't exactly know where they were going to go. You can always split up the Lucha Bros. I think Pentagon Jr. and Ray Phoenix in their own right could be great individually, but right now they're a tag team. I just kind of, I didn't know where they go from here, but John Moxley ends up getting the win at 22 minutes to capture the AEW world title. I thought this was really good as well. Another four-star match. So on the night, I said that there were four, four-star matches at least on the show and I thought this was a uh, a really good match you know kind of going back to the attitude era with the brawl all throughout the ring all throughout the arena then they get back and then some shenanigans with the inner circle and then in the end Moxley uh, is I guess he was blinded but then he takes off the blind or the eye patch to reveal that he wasn't blind 
So that entire time he was just faking it to get Jericho to get in this exact predicament. But then what happens if he wasn't in that exact predicament and he was really in danger? I don't know. I talked about this once again on Curveballs and Chair Shots in our preview. And, I, and Dominic asked me, what should, what should Moxley do with the eye patch? And I said, I think he should take it off early. And he said that he should take it off late. So obviously Dominic was correct. But I just thought that it was kind of stupid. Like, why would Moxley, who is, you know hurting himself by blinding his own eye by having the eye patch on why doesn't he take it off at the very beginning to show Jericho that look I'm 100% you think you're going to come in here and target my eye but no it's all fine and I'm going to beat your ass I think that could have got an even bigger pop especially because I just there was a lot of energy behind Moxley and through that intro I think if you just took off that eye patch right before the match started officially I think that could have got a huge pop and it really could have got the crowd going and uh I mean, the crowd was hot for this match, but I just didn't like that ending sequence where Moxley took off the thing and hits them with the paradigm shift. But overall, it worked. Moxley gets the win, cuts a promo afterwards, and I thought it was an enjoyable promo. I wish uh, Moxley would cut more promos in AEW. And, you know, obviously when the uh, music hit and he was like, hey, what the fuck? And they stop it immediately, and then he just says like a sentence or two, and then he leaves. I thought that was hilarious. But this is the Moxley era as Jim Ross coined it, he was really trying to go over hard on this, kind of making it seem like, you know, the Austin era from WrestleMania 14. I don't know if it's that, but uh, it does seem like they're trying to go in a different direction. And their first two champions were former WWE champions. But I think this one, John Moxley being a champion, being the AEW champion, I think is a lot different than Chris Jericho being a champion. Yes, Chris Jericho has reinvented himself so many times, but he's still Chris Jericho. People know him and they enjoyed him in WWE. Not saying people didn't enjoy Dean Ambrose in WWE, but people realized that Dean Ambrose, John Moxley, was not utilized to his full potential. And now that he will be the world champion in AEW, I think that can gain some traction. And people... I, I don't know. I don't have the pulse on the casual or very lackadaisical wrestling fan who barely knows anything about things outside of WWE. But I would say if you saw Dean Ambrose and you liked him and you f- stumbled upon AEW, you see John Moxley and the way he is, I think he is such a better character than what Dean Ambrose was. And I think Dean Ambrose, or sorry, John Moxley, going forward, if they can line up the, the right opponents for him, I think that could be fun. I don't know how long-term this could be. I don't know, as I said, the kind of the depth chart in my mind. You can do babyface, babyface matchups with Moxley. It's AEW, you know, pick your, pick your poison. Maybe Hangman turns. I, I just don't feel like you need to turn Hangman. I think they teased it a little bit, but I don't think they go in that direction. If anything, I would maybe turn Kenny, even though I do feel as though Kenny is finally gaining some traction as a singles competitor. But uh, overall, I mean, I'm very excited to see what AEW has been doing. AEW, I think, has consistently, since the beginning of the year, has been a really good product. I was a little down on it at the end of the year, but then I think now they've really turned the corner, and I think this was the best AEW pay-per-view yet. I mean, they've only had a few. I mean, I'm not going to say it was better than Double or Nothing, but I think that Revolution was a much better show than Full Gear just because it had a great matches and it had great build to it as well. And overall, I'm going to give... Uh, the grit, the show, if we're going to go on stars, I think I'm going to give it four and a half stars. I thought it was really good. The only takeaway would be that Dustin Hager match and the women's match. All the other matches delivered in their own special way. We had the tag team match, which was just absolutely out of this world. Match of the year candidate, absolutely. 
and a new AEW World Champion. So the rumored innuendo is on the internet that Jericho is going to be leaving. Not AEW, just kind of going on hiatus to do some Fozzie stuff. He will be a, he will be in a tag team match on Wednesday. So he's not going to go away completely, but it did make a little bit of sense that Jericho has been kind of on the road a lot with AEW, and now he kind of can take a little bit of break off. Maybe he comes back for Double or Nothing. Maybe he returns after Double or Nothing, that Vegas show after. But the Moxley era has begun. So now let's move on to Vice has announced details and topics for Dark Side of the Ring Season 2. Now, the professional wrestling docu-series will return to Vice TV with a two-hour series premiere on Tuesday, March 24th, airing 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So now, um, mark your calendars, mark your DVRs for this. So we have the eight-episode, or I guess the, uh, I don't know, we have nine episodes, or a double episode is the first one, and they will be covering the Chris Benoit double murder-suicide. Benoit's son, David and Nancy's sister, Sandra were interviewed for the episode. Chris Jericho is the narrator for the new Dark Side of the Ring series, and this should be a lot of fun. Uh, I know a lot about the Chris Benoit double double murder suicide. Hopefully they can get uh, some new insight with the family members and uh, some other stuff as well. So the other episodes that they will be airing, so obviously the Chris Benoit, the murder of Dino Bravo, I know a little bit about that, the WWF Brawl for All tournament, which was an absolute clusterfuck, New Jack, friend of the podcast, you know, he liked a photo on Instagram, that should be fun, David Schultz assault on the 2020 reporter John Stossel, that one should be interesting as well, the death of Jimmy Superfly Snooka's girlfriend, Nancy Argentino, the inside story of the Road Warriors, Hawk and Animal, Herb Abrams' attempt to build pro, a pro wrestling empire, and then the death of Owen Hart. Now, I know pretty much all of these stories. The only one I don't really know is Herb Abrams. So that one is definitely going to be one I'm going to check out. But I'm going to watch all of them, and we will definitely talk about it either on this show or on the Bulletcast. Now, let's move on to the weekly NXT recap from... February 26, 2020. As always, it took place at Full Sail University, and the announcers were Mario Ronaldo, Nigel McGuinness, and Beth Phoenix. We'll talk about Beth Phoenix a little bit on the Bullet Cast as well. But overall, this show was okay. I think NXT kind of in a low period post takeover. They have a long time to build to takeover Tampa Bay. So they're kind of taking it slow right now. They're not showing their hands thus far about what they're going to be doing at takeover, but uh, a little. Disappointing. I mean, I don't like to say disappointing, but I just think that eight that AEW has been such a great show that NXT just hasn't really followed suit of being that great or even kind of you know being a little bit better than it has been in the past. So it's just kind of on a steady, on a you know a little steadied ride, but it hasn't really gone up and down all that much like AEW has. But uh, now let's go on to the first match of the show. Dominic Dijakovic takes on Cameron Grimes. Cameron Grimes wins in 13 minutes with a little help from Damian Priest. Uh, Dijakovic goes on the outside, hits some moves, comes back, and tries to come back in the ring. But Damian Priest and Nancy Kerrigan's, or Tanya Harding's, yeah, Tanya Harding or Nancy Kerrigan, whatever, takes a lead pipe, smacks Dijakovic in the leg, and Grimes gets the win with his double foot stomp. Now, this is interesting. They kind of touted this as kind of a pseudo number one contender. I don't know if I'd say number one contendership match, but just kind of if Dijakovic wins, he will probably get a shot at Keith Lee. So now he doesn't get the shot. Cameron Grimes wins. Now, does that mean Cameron Grimes is going to face Keith Lee at TakeOver on an NXT show? 
Who knows? Very interesting to see what happens with that. Cameron Grimes, an undersized heel. And then Keith Lee, an oversized babyface. I don't exactly know how that dynamic is going to work. I think Cameron Grimes could be such a good sniveling, you know, shit-stirring heel that it can work. And the match itself is going to be absolutely phenomenal. So that is going to be exciting if that's where they go. But you never know. We might just get Damian Priest and Dijakovic again for like the 7,000th time against Keith Lee. But obviously they're kind of going in that direction with Dijakovic and Damian Priest. A little bit later in the show, they interview Damian Priest outside with some girls and he kind of just blows them off. And yeah, so obviously we're going somewhere with Priest and Dijakovic. We just don't exactly know quite yet. Uh... The unnamed backstage interviewer who has replaced Kathy Kelly. It's a shame. Uh, Regal interviews Ringo, William Regal, and Regal announced that starting next week, there will be a series of qualifying matches for women. The winner will get a number of contendership match at TakeOver, and the winner, and it will also be in a ladder match. So we will still get a women's match on the TakeOver card. It will be a ladder match and a number of contendership. Who will that be? Who knows? Maybe Mia Yim and Dakota Kai. Maybe Belair and somebody else. We'll have to stay tuned and find out. Finn Balor walked to the ring getting a mixed reaction. And he comes down and he talks about what is next for Finn Balor. And before he could answer, Imperium's music hits. But no, not the entire group of Imperium. We get Fabian Eichner and Marcel Barthel. Barthel says that NXT belongs to the ring general, Walter, who says, who sends his best regards to Finn Balor. Balor then hits a dropkick to the outside and started stomping on both guys. Eventually, the pair was too much for Balor to handle, and they stood over him near the ring steps as the music played. So, obviously, this means we're getting Finn Balor versus Walter, and oh my god, this is going to be absolutely amazing. I feel as though this was kind of an unofficial, official uh, babyface turn for Finn, and I enjoyed this. I thought it was good. Finn was not happy-go-lucky, he wasn't smiling, he wasn't kissing babies, shaking hands, and all that good fun stuff. He was just a regular heel baller that he's been the last few months, and then he comes out, and now he's just in the babyface role. And I think that's the best way to use Finn right now. If he's going to turn babyface, don't, uh, you know, take the edge off of him. Keep him the way he is, but just have him face against heels, and especially since he's going to face Walter, and what I just said, kind of the opposite of what Keith Lee and Cameron Grimes is, kind of the more traditional big heel, undersized babyface. That match will be fantastic. Who knows if it's going to be for the UK title, if it's going to be at TakeOver on an NXT. I don't know, but it's matches. Just shut up and take my money. That's all I got to say. Then we go to a vignette about Austin Theory. Basic about, you know, how great he is, and he's a young gun, and he's going to do big things. Uh, We get an Apocalypse teaser. So we don't exactly know who it is, no name, but just kind of they sprinkle that in a few times throughout the show. So maybe a new act will be coming. Who is it? Who knows? Uh, but we get Zia Lee taking on Mia Yim, and Zia Lee gets the win at 2 minutes and 42 seconds. So in the first match, we had the interference finish, and then now in the second match, we get the distraction finish because uh, Dakota Kai comes out with her heavy Raquel Gonzalez, and Kai asked Mia if she remembers when she stole her spot at War Games, and then blah, 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 and then Yim gets distracted, and then Lee rolls her up, and boom. Zia Lee gets the win. Zia Lee has been on the show, has been on NXT multiple times. They haven't really taken the next step with her. I haven't seen too much from her to make to validate that she should take the next step. But uh, obviously, Mia Yim 
in Dakota Kai. Kai kind of in two different scenarios right now with Mia Yim. And then she's going to have the cage match against Tegan Knox this week on NXT. So maybe Kai gets the win there and then she moves on to Mia Yim. Or maybe she loses and then moves on to Mia Yim. Who exactly knows? Maybe Mia Yim gets involved and that's how the finish plays out. But we will have to stay tuned and find out. So uh, somewhere backstage, Velveteen Dream was looking into a mirror and then threatened Roderick Strong. He addressed William Regal and said that he wanted Roderick Strong next week and why don't you just leave the cage down? Asking for the cage match because they're going to have the women's cage match, so might as well have the men's cage match and William Regal obliges. So this week, tomorrow, there will be two cage matches, Tegan Knox versus Dakota Kai and Roderick Strong taking on Velveteen Dream. No mention of Roderick Strong's wife or and kid. So uh, maybe they realized that that was not a good thing for a babyface to be saying about a heel trying to bang his wife and take his child. But anyways, uh, we move on to Tommaso Ciampa versus Austin Theory. In the end, this bleeds into the top of the second hour. Tommaso Ciampa wins in 12 minutes, 41 seconds, after Ciampa just kind of nonchalantly dismissed Theory the week before. It was a little interesting that he got so much offense this time, so I don't know why he was so dismissive the first time and just kind of beat him up, and Austin was just down forever after a few simple moves. And this time, Theory is able to go 12 minutes with him. That being said, Tomas Ciampa to get the win, so that is good. And in the end, Ciampa wins, and then Johnny Gargano hits the ring and beats down Ciampa, continuing on his heel turn. Pretty simple beatdown, no words from Johnny, no promo, so obviously we're going to get a promo eventually. They're just kind of bleeding this out, kind of making it, stretching it out, making it longer, just so we can, uh, you know, because they have so much time to fill. And it was fine. Nothing really to uh, to write home about. Then we get a backstage Undisputed Era segment where Roddy said that a cage match with Dream was just fine by him. Fish and O'Reilly said that they, were, they weren't down with the Broser weights, and Adam Cole said the prophecy would still continue when Roddy and the former tag champs get their titles back. Then the fourth match on the show, Bronson Reed taking on Killian Dane. Some two beefy boys going at it, and Killian Dane gets the win at 6-14. This match was fine. Two guys who are kind of in that mid-undercard spot. Interesting to see they put over Killian Dane, being as though he is kind of the more proven veteran, and he's had his little time, then he gets, then he loses, and then Bronson Reed is kind of on the come-up a little bit, but no, they give it to uh, Dane. And, I mean, it was a good big-man power match. Don't know what this means for Dane. Does this mean he moves up a little bit on the totem pole? I could see Dane and Keith Lee. That can be a fun matchup. Just two big old hosses going at it. But, uh, I just don't know if Dane is at that point yet because he's just, he doesn't have that much credibility because of what he's done with Sanity and then he comes in NXT, gets a little bit of a, a big push and then he just loses and we haven't seen him in a while. Uh, they show the vine- or the segment last week or the week before with the Forgotten Sons and they talk about how they're American and you, you don't tread on me, boy. Don't talk about America like that because we're going to stand up to you even though the Forgotten Sons are heels. But anyways, now they're babyfaces because they're American, damn it. The Forgotten Sons take on the Grizzled Young Vets, Wesley Blake and Steve Cutler, uh, taking on Zach Gibson and James Drake. Important distinction there, because you, you, you don't know who the Forgotten Sons are. Maybe they were going to have uh, Riker in there, but no, just Wesley Blake and Steve Cutler. And the match goes 13 minutes, 2 seconds. Match was okay, uh, but once again, why the hell are the Forgotten Sons babyfaces? because they're American, damn it. But overall, 
eh, I mean, fine match, maybe a little bit too long. But then in the main event, we get, uh, well, before that, we get Tiganoski interview, just kind of some simple, straightforward babyface stuff from her, and then the Damian Priest thing outside that I talked about. Uh, in the main event, we get Bianca Belair taking on Charlotte Flair, and Charlotte wins in 12 minutes and 2 seconds. I enjoyed this match, a really good match between these two. Uh, this was the right finish. I was a little scared that they were going to do some sort of shenanigans with uh, Rhea and Bianca or whatever, that maybe it was a non-finish or Bianca wins and Charlotte is going to demand a triple threat match because she, I don't know. But no, Charlotte gets the win, straightforward. And then in, in the end, uh, Charlotte was going to uh, hit or beat up Bianca a little bit more. And then Rhea's music hit and Flair was setting up the little... Uh, whatever, not, not a, well, I guess you could say like a concerto, but the little thing where you, you, you put the, the person's leg in the chair and then you hit it. So Bianca was, was in peril and Charlotte was going to, you know, take off one of her limbs, but then Rhea, her music was playing and she was just standing there nonchalantly strolling and then she has to wait for the music hit so her, the, the beat drops, she can do her little foot stomp thing and then by the time she did the foot stomp, Charlotte did the exact same foot stomp onto Bianca's foot that was caught in between a chair. I, I hated that. I thought it was so stupid why Rhea was taking so long. You get the babyface pop, she's there to save her, or you think she's there to save her, but then she just kind of stands there, but then after Charlotte does it, then she runs in and make the save, but then by that point, it's a little too late there, Rhea. She basically telegraphed what she was going to do, and then you're just staring at her, and then she does it. Then you get mad at her. It was all stupid. It was not a good way to end the show, I thought. Um, I still have faith that this Rhea-Charlotte feud will continue and it will build, it will culminate at WrestleMania quite nicely. We haven't seen Charlotte on Raw. It looks as though this match is going to be exclusively built on NXT. We get a little bit on Raw, but that being said, overall, a good show. But when you compare it to AEW, which I think is just clicking on all cylinders, it just kind of has the the making of a hot product ready to take off. A little hard, a little unfair to compare the two, but good show, just not as on the same caliber as AEW, which might be a little unfair to, because I think AEW is just doing something special right now. But let's go to the mailbag, utrmailbag at gmail.com. And if I'm checking it, you already know that there ain't nothing in it. So that'll do it for me for today. Uh, make sure it is Super Tuesday. If you guys are listening to this on Tuesday, which maybe you are, maybe you aren't, I don't know. But make sure to go vote. If your state, if you're living in America and your state hasn't voted yet, make sure to find out your polling place, when you vote, when it is, and blah, 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 blah. Make sure to go vote, guys. I don't care who you vote for, but just make your voices heard. And also, please listen to the interviews I've done with Starboy Charlie and Rick Luxury. Sparky Ballot interview dropping tomorrow, 10 a.m. Pacific time. And we will be doing the Bullet Cast as usual on Thursday, so stay tuned for that. And until next time, my name is Brandon Tanguma. I've very much enjoyed your company today. I don't know why I said that. That was a little weird. Okay, goodbye and good night. Uh, bye bye. <laughs>